Hi everyone, Derek Vita here, with a quick note before we start. For the month of September, UX Soup is contributing to a charity fundraising drive, and we hope you will join us. The Royal National Institute of Blind People, or RNIB, does fantastic work toward fostering equality and independence for blind and partially sighted people across the United Kingdom. To support this important organization, this month Lisa and I are running in Marathon Mates, a virtual team marathon event as Team UX Pain Points. Lisa and I, as Team UX Pain Points, will split the distance of a marathon, 26.2 miles, between ourselves in September, with a goal of raising 150 pounds, or about $200, for the Royal National Institute of Blind People. If you would like to join Team UX Pain Points in our mission, please consider donating this month to the RNIB. You can donate and track our running progress by visiting our charity fundraising website www.justgiving, all one word, dot com, forward slash team, forward slash UX pain points, all one word. We'll also provide a link from our show page, ux-soup.com. Thanks for listening. Now on with the show. Welcome to UX Snoop, a short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest on developments that will impact the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and while mobile. I'm Derek Vita. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Lisa Cooper. Hi. And Chris Schreiner. Hello. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients all over the world with analysis insights, and expertise. Today, we're looking beyond the buzzwords of Kickstarter tech. Kickstarter, of course, is a crowdfunding site where inventors and developers can take their tech to the masses, get their efforts funded, and typically reward their investors in some way. One of the more famous and successful Kickstarter campaigns was Pebble. It was a very early version of the smartwatch. Between its first edition and subsequent later versions, Pebble raised tens of millions of dollars. Uh, there have also been numerous notable uh, failures or less successful campaigns. If we stick with the wearable tech theme, uh, Central Standard Timing raised over a million dollars for what it called the world's thinnest watch, but it struggled mightily to take that concept to the manufacturing phase and eventually filed for bankruptcy. There's also quite a bit of uh, what I would call vaporware on there, such as a, a razor uh, that uses lasers uh, that never really materialized. So... What Chris, Lisa, and I are going to do today is a series of rapid-fire Shark Tank slash Dragon's Den pitches for a piece of Kickstarter tech. One of us will give a one-minute briefing on a piece of tech on Kickstarter at the time of this session recording, and the other two are going to ask difficult questions and make some comments. Sound good to everybody? Yes. Sounds great. All right. Who would like to start? I nominate Chris. Second it? Sure. <laughs> I guess I don't have a choice. I will start then. The uh, Kickstarter tech I wanted to go with is Pero. Pero is a wearable gesture controller slash mouse slash gaming controller that is currently on Kickstarter. Uh, I'm always interested in seeing new forms of HMI or new ways of controlling tech, and this is one of them. It's a foam circle that you fit your four fingers through. 
and then it's got a side controller for like the mouse click. And if you fold your fingers onto the bottom of the controller, that uh, are those are controllable gestures. So you can see it being used for basic laptop control, using it as a mouse. It might be good for 3D drawings. Uh, it could be good for some gaming controls. Uh, the use case that I'm actually most interested in would be controlling a drone. So I have a a modest drone. I'm not certainly not a drone uh, enthusiast, uh, but I have a modest drone that I'll take out once in a while. And uh, I'm terrible at controlling it. <laughs> I can get it up. I can get the basic movements, but the first time that the drone does something that I'm not expecting it to do, I just start to use the different joysticks and just, and it ends up in a tree somewhere. So something like this, where it's literally just on your hand and you raise your hand up for the drone to go up, tilt it for it to move. It sounds like something that would be much simpler for me to be able to use. Are the haptics programmable? I mean, customizable, should I say? Yes, so all of the buttons that would be on it are customizable. Um, you can have, they, they showed it where uh, on the, if you folded your fingers down, it could sense which finger it is. So you can have it do different shortcuts. So all of the movements that you made for drone control all used, I noticed just sort of a flat hand and you'd kind of move it back and forth, up and down. And I agree, that's very compelling. It looks great. What gives me pause is when you ball your hand up and you're using the finger controls or the thumb control, doing that a lot, just looking at that makes me uncomfortable. I would imagine if you're using it for some kind of complex laptop use case, so like a, a, a drawing, like something like Photoshop or Illustrator, something like that, where you're using it in a lot of complex movements that could get tiring after a while. Uh, I think using a drone, I'm not sure because this is still in development how the actual interaction could be, but it could be very simple uh, where the thumb could press against uh, the button on the side if you wanted it to do something. And then when you want it to stand still, you can just let go of the thumb and then you can move your hand wherever you want. And then that alleviates that kind of fatigue. So you said this thing... Is it adjustable? I mean, would it fit all sorts of sizes of hands? It comes in a couple of different sizes. It's expandable. It's, it's kind of a foam gel thing. So it's it has some leeway in terms of fit. And then it comes in two different sizes for larger and smaller hands. I just have some uh, image in my mind of someone making you jump while you're doing that drone. Or you, you're like, oh, a mosquito comes and you do this with your yes. hands. <laughs> A yellow jacket comes by and I'm trying to swat it away. <laughs> that might not but end well. That would happen with whatever controller I use. Right. Right. Any gesture controller, you're going to run into a problem with accidental activation, right? Yeah. Unless you, unless you have sort of a, you use the thumb as a kill switch, right? Yeah, that could work too. Right. Dead man's hand, whatever you want to call it. Interesting. Uh, Lisa, would you like to go next? Yes, I would. Okay, so I have one called Glamos. This was a Kickstarter that was launched in January 2020. It was created by ex-Samsung engineers and is basically a motion sensor that you can create a virtual touchscreen anywhere. 
Um, so it makes all screens interactive at a distance. And the way it does this is to use LiDAR technology that you found find in connected cars, and it converts these motions into touch points and then delivers it to the device. Currently has over 2,300 backers and pledges over 400,000. I think they're only looking for 100,000. So one of the pros about a, a control, having a controller in your hand is you have that added tactile feedback. Right. Right. Whereas if with the in-air touchscreen, you're just kind of stabbing and, and relying on a, a visual modality to provide right. that feedback. The one way this is really cool is because of in the era of COVID. You can actually use this not just on personal devices. You can use it on kiosks as well. So you don't have to touch anything. How big is this device? One and a half inches. Ooh, that, that's that's very small. I, I would lose that in a heartbeat. <laughs> I would need one of those tracking devices to stick on it so that I didn't misplace it. <laughs> you have a, what, what do they call them, a tile? Yeah. You attach a tile to your <laughs> one and a half. <laughs> it operates across all various platforms. Um, has a three-foot radius also, so you can go quite big with presentations and things like that. And you can connect multiple Glamos devices together. Why would I need to do that? To create a larger space, I imagine. That would be the use case. So if you're doing a presentation... Um, and you want to do more than three feet, I imagine you can extend that out. Could I make them screen. like perpendicular to each other so I'm in this big glamour box? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. Better questions. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> be like a mime. <laughs> That's right. Well, they talk about presentations being one of the use cases for it, as well as gaming and all sorts of things. Like literally you could just, if you don't want to touch a screen, if there's multiple people around, you just plug and play. There's no app or anything. Very curious about that. I'll have to give that one a try. Derek, you're All right. So uh, I'm going to mispronounce this as well. So I, I apologize in advance. I'm going to be talking about the Sonera Edge. Uh, it is an, uh, it's a head mounted display that goes over the eyes. Uh, with attached headphones. And I'm just going to read straight off the Kickstarter story here. Uh, it's the world's first personal cinema head-mounted display that features surround sound headphones as well as a micro OLED, uh, uh, twin micro OLED displays. Uh, the combination boasts a real theatrical immersive experience with fantastic video and audio quality, making the device a true mobile cinema. So imagine when you're watching a thriller movie, your heart beats a little faster and the action encapsulates you rather than just watching the movie, you are living in it, uh, living in all caps. Uh, you are part of the action and fully immersed in the movie plot. Uh, the ergonomics of the Sonera Edge smartly shift more weight to its sides, so it takes pressure off of that front part and don't have the bulky uh, goggles that you typically see. Uh, this makes long sessions of wearing effortless. It's also compatible with uh, most streaming services through Wi-Fi. You can play local content using a USB device. Uh, there's a touchpad on your right-hand side that allows you to swipe through menus quickly. Uh, so that's the Sonera Edge. So the first and only question I have with this. So yes. I've been enough inside VR headsets to know that if I move around, I'm good. The moment that 
the scene moves without me, I'm on the floor. So I'm going to put myself in some kind of action movie where all around me are going to be these visual cues of motion because that's what thrillers are. And I'm going to be heaving. <laughs> me too, actually. Yeah, I get, I get motion sickness, so the assets do not like me. So what you're saying is it's good for uh, certain scenarios, maybe for shorter periods of time, at least with VR headsets that you, you guys have used uh, previously? I think most VR headsets are like that. It's hard to use them for a long period of time without getting eye strain or headaches or, and in my case, motion sickness. For me, motion sickness isn't a factor of time. Let's say we're in an action scene and it pans quickly, but I'm set still. But my brain's telling me that I've just shot over to the left. I'm not feeling very well yeah, after that. Me, yeah, that would happen to me too. I, I've almost fallen over in in the headset because of the, the dissonance in information. So for you, it's not a function of how long you're using it or where the weight is located. It's literally just the motion yeah. cues. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we've had three fantastic ideas uh, that each of us has pitched. We've had the uh, Sonera Edge, which I just went through, which is the uh, VR headset with the attached headphones. Uh, we have uh, Pero from Chris, which is the wearable Ooh. gesture. <laughs> I think we know which way Lisa's leaning here. And then we have Lisa's uh, Kickstarter, Yay. which is Glamos, which is the in-air touchscreen. Let's go through each of them and just by, uh, shall we say, yay or nays for each of them uh, and see which one we would choose to fund if we were going to fund one of them. Let's start with the Sonera Edge. Nay. Sorry. A, sounds like a, a significant uh, nay there. Uh, how about the Pero? I give that a yay. I'm tempted, but I think my vote has to go for Glamos. Partly because I want to practice my miming skills, mostly because <laughs> I, the name is a lot more glamorous than Pero. It's a glamorous. Well, the Pero one, I liked it. I see, I see good potential in it, definitely. But I think I would want glamorous more, just because flying drones and things like that aren't use cases that I personally value. <laughs> So congratulations to Glamos, the winner of our first UX Soup Kickstarter competition. Okay, let's move on now to our regular segment called Condensed Soup. Condensed Soup. This week's Condensed Soup, we're going to be each of us discussing the best and worst piece of CES slash trade show slash infomercial tech that we have encountered. Who would like to start? I'll start on this one as well. The one I'm going to go with this week came from 2019 CES, and that show tended to have a lot of smart home technology and trying to figure out what the next best smart home use case were. And there were there was one in particular uh, that was an automated laundry folding machine. I think it was called Foldamate. Foldamate. Sounds like a good concept. Yes, I would love to just throw clothes out of the dryer into a laundry basket and have something sort and fold it for me. Or better yet, just take it straight out of the dryer and fold it. 
This, however, when you looked at it, you had to have the clothes already like at least half folded. <laughs> so take a pair of jeans, for instance. You had to uh, fold them uh, lengthwise and then grab the the bottom cuff of the jeans and put it into the machine so that I could do the final one fold or two fold, depending on how long legs you have and how you prefer to have your things folded. And then the time it took it to do that while you waited and grabbed the next piece of clothing to then also fold, uh, it seemed to actually not save you any time. <laughs> well, how does that look? What, what does it look it, like? It is a big contraption that would stand next to your clothes. <laughs> very convenient. Nice uh, three to four feet tall. Wow. And not very pretty. <laughs> it's a winner on all fronts. Yes. Okay, I'll uh, I'll jump in here with the next one. Um, this I believe this was 2019. It might have been 2018 that we, I first saw this at CES. In a take on the pod-based coffee machines, so Keurig being the most obvious example, we saw a couple of versions of that for beer. So uh, LG had a, a one that they introduced, uh, Pico Brew, is uh, a different one. Uh, LG uses raw ingredients. Pico Brew uses these little, little pods. And you put all the ingredients in this little machine, and it brews beer for you. I bet those were very popular stands. Uh, I can neither confirm or deny that uh, I have firsthand knowledge of this. But at any rate, one of the issues, uh, again, that I see with this is, who is this for? So if I'm a beer non-enthusiast, I'm going to run down to the the um, 7-Eleven and get a six-pack of cans or bottles. If I'm a beer enthusiast, I am going to brew my own beer and tinker with the ingredients and the processes, things like that. This seems like it's right in the middle of that, but not in a particularly good way. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. We have a couple of other beverage enthusiasts on the line here. It gives you a bit of a shortcut, but a real beer enthusiast that is going to brew their own beer is going to be like a chef that wants to tinker with the amount of hops that's in there. Oh, or... I, I don't know. If you're a first-time beer brewer, you want it to be easy. It gives them that easy uh, way to start if everything's prepackaged. That's but I your... can't see them using that over the long term once they get going. Yeah, you're a first-time beer brewer once. So I'm going to keep it classy today and talk about Charmin's Smell Sense that was presented at CES 2020. And in their words, the Smell Sense promises to save you the agony of stepping into a stench-filled bathroom. <laughs> According to Charmin's press release, it sniffs the air for high levels of carbon dioxide found in a two-tortoo. A go, no-go display indicates when it's safe to enter the room and when to await, wait to allow the air to clear. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, an interesting concept, although I don't believe they're going to bring that to market. It was more for fun. I, I have nothing in my notes for that one. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, at least they c I, Why aren't they spraying something? I would think there'd be a little function spray braying the room if you smell if if it if in their words it found a toot or two <laughs> it would do something about it 
But there you go. Keeping it classy. <laughs> See, yeah. That sounds like a great place to end the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for now. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening and uh, getting through this uh, episode with us. Uh, a quick note before we go. A future episode of UX Soup will be dedicated to listener questions. So if you've got queries or feedback on our show, now's your time. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at uxsoup, all one word, at strategyanalytics.com. A reminder that UX Soup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive, and smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Please remember to subscribe to UX Soup on your favorite platform or via our show page at ux-soup.captivate.fm. You can also follow Chris, Lisa, or myself on LinkedIn or Twitter through that show page. Thanks again. Bye for now. <laughs>